Hello, this is Reduced Nurse Burnout Podcast. I'm Matthew Panatoni, and today I have with me Kalan Kinneman as my special guest. Uh, how are you doing today, Kalan? Hey, Matthew, I'm doing good. Should I call you Matthew or Try Hero? <laughs> you could call me either or. <laughs> okay, I don't know if your listeners have context for that, but it, I might revert. <laughs> I don't think they do, actually. It's my gamer name, so. Yeah, which is how we met, so, yeah. Yeah, which is fantastic because, I mean, it's such a delightful meetup and everything, and do you mind telling everybody a little bit about about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, Well, so, I I mean, gaming is one of the ways I do self-care and help (laughs) um, relieve tension. And and, um, I have been doing helping work of one form or another since my early 20s, and I'm now in my late 50s. So it's been quite a journey, and I think I've dealt with a lot of the same stuff a lot of us do when we're called to do helping work. So it's a really important topic. I'm glad that you're doing this because I think sustaining ourselves is so important, but often gets overlooked, particularly when you're when we're dealing sometimes with such people who are in so much distress. Um, so I I started out doing a lot of volunteer work. I think I always felt very sensitive to other people's emotional states and felt. I would just instinctively like, you know, reach out and put a hand on someone's arm when they were, you know, crying or I felt comfortable with it. And also just to call them lean in and be present with people. Then um, I started doing some mentoring work and volunteering in my early twenties. And eventually just sort of strangely found my way into with sort of on the job training things um, like doing advocacy work in hospitals and doctor's offices and a lot of times intervening with insurance companies to get needed treatments and helping clients through that process when they were dealing with major illnesses and um, worked for hospice for three years doing home visits and uh, which um, that was a really unique experience. I think that was different than a lot of hospice workers. That uh, was very rewarding. Um, So, and then, you know, also, which I consider related work uh, in some ways, but have done a lot of work with nonprofits and uh, environmental concerns and political activism, and working with marginalized communities to help. So, and I'm uh, currently in a doctorate program, program in clinical psychology. So um, I'm mostly drawn to, I'm trained to do therapy, like official um, psychodynamic therapy, or psychotherapy, sorry, not psychodynamic. I'm mostly humanistic and existential, which probably won't surprise you. I think we've talked about that some, but um but mostly I want to teach and do research and support the next sort of crop of up and coming um, therapists and clinicians and, and then do clinical work with program development and or community psychology, um, that sort of thing. So yeah, my primary interests are trauma, 
um, particularly generational trauma and cultural trauma and multicultural issues and the way that those things intersect, not just, not just multicultural, but intersectional identities, you know, like uh, racism, sexism, cultural oppression, and discrimination, that sort of thing. That's all, <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> Wow, that's quite a bit. That's amazing too. I mean, what a what a what a history there, right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I really um, have been called even recently. I'm preparing to apply for my final year of internship. And this will be year five of intern training, of clinical training, and we have to for this part of the process write these essays, sort of about um, our an autobiographical statement, why we're in the field, what calls us to work in the field and all that. And really, it really helped me connect the dots between my own background, my own childhood and trauma and the suffering I saw around me and my family's unaddressed trauma and the way that that kept sort of getting handed down the effects of that through generations. And my passion for helping to address that and break the cycle. So yeah, it's on my mind a lot right now because I've been mm. writing on it for uh, for months, it seems like, and diversity essays, stuff like that. So yeah, the whole, the wounded healer thing, right? Is that something that you mm. relate to that sort of, have you heard of that, that archetype? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh -huh. so common. Wow. We could totally just spend this whole podcast talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, I relate. I've heard people say like, well, I can't, how can I do stuff for, do stuff for others when I still have my stuff? And I'm like, as far as I can tell in all the decades I've been doing any kind of helping work, that's how it works. Like, the, uh, not everybody, certainly, but a lot of people in the helping professions are sort of called to it because of their own experience and their own compassion and empathy and relating and wanting to make things better for themselves and others so mm, so powerful yeah i think so too uh, i think so so the target audience for this podcast is primarily uh rural healthcare nurses here in central Washington. And, uh, but that, that, that's not like the only like group of people that can listen to this, of course. And I feel like what you just outlined connects with so many people across the board from nurses to officers, to therapists, to you name it, right? To pastors, whatever. And um, yeah, I yeah. yeah, there's there's some overlap there for sure. I you know I think right now it's a very unique time because healthcare workers in particular, and I I don't know what the numbers are for rural nurses, but I imagine it's just as intense right now with pandemic times and the, the kind of crisis in healthcare with workload and exposure risk and all of that and. It's gotta be just off the chart. 
It's funny. I was just thinking about that as you were saying it. And um, uh, our, our, so our staff, like um, just, just over the past year has like turned over half of itself. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just right. And that's here in Washington and, and, uh, you know, everybody's trying their best to do what they can to be safe and to, to hold each other up. But man, it's, it's a lot if you think about it. I mean, in terms of like, I mean, I can't blame certain people for switching professions or switching roles. Um, yeah, it's a tough one, you know, because I mean, I know people are fully aware that like, if I walk out of this, my position right now, it's going to leave other people dealing with more. And I, I'm guessing that a lot of people, it's really a last resort. By the time they approach that decision, they have to, like, they don't want to leave it or and they know that they're needed. But like, you just something gets close to the snapping point or you know, and even the work that we do, and this is one of the things I think is really important, um, is that, like, if I am not at, at least a minimum, hopefully a little over minimum in terms of my own resources inside and externally and in every way possible, my works at some point begins to become impaired and ultimately isn't good for the people I'm serving either, but it's what a tough spot to be in, you know, when you know you're needed and the need is huge, the clients need you, the community needs you, your workplace needs you, but you know you're reaching a point where you just don't have it to give, to be able to, to have, it's just a tough decision. So I really honor people who do what they need to do and, um, and, the heartbreak in that as well for both for those who have to figure out a way to fill in the gaps and for the people who are walking away and uh, you know in 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 service to their own survival it's just tough it's, yeah. it's a tough situation yeah i did a few uh little discovery sessions before the pandemic hit mm-hmm. and back then uh, I think that was 2019, early 2019. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was already a ton of stress. Yeah. On, on nurses. I mean, like, there was an overwhelming amount of like consensus that these nurses were feeling overworked with productivity deadlines, mm-hmm. trying to trying to meet uh, patient needs while also meeting productivity and all that stuff. And, um, oh, yeah. yeah. So it was already uh, not a great scenario before pandemic, you're saying? Yeah, I think so. And when you throw the pandemic on that, that fire, it's just mm-hmm. kind of like just blazed up and everybody just everybody fizzled out I think (laughs) yeah I know I know more about like in the mental health care field really how like and I but I'm guessing it's very similar if not worse that 
that depression levels, stress levels, and physical problem, all of that has probably increased exponentially with the pandemic. I mean, personally, I don't want to get like off into politics or whatever, but there are some major systemic issues with the way we do medical care in this country. And mm -hmm. um, and it trickles down, particularly to the people who there's a little bit of like a reflection of, of the class system as a whole. You see it in the medical field and, and healthcare. And um, you know, it's often nurses who are working directly with patients the most, like just in terms of hours per day. Um, mm -hmm. Cause they're the ones, yeah, carrying a lot of the load, right? Yeah, physically, literally, physically, emotionally, mentally. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It's amazing to think about and I feel like talking with you, there's just so many different areas we could go into. <laughs> yeah, and what's gonna like, yeah, be most useful for your time with what you're going yeah. to, yeah. I, I am a little curious uh, about how you developed the empathy that you have to to want to go into the field you're in hmm. um, yeah I wonder, I wonder about that too um i don't know i i think i think a little bit of it is something that i was born with uh sort of just a sensitivity i think i'm a highly sensitive person so i've always been a little more tuned in maybe than the you know if it's like everything's on a spectrum right and so i'm probably toward the upper end of the spectrum in terms of just being able to pick up on feelings or at least distress and that's gotten more nuanced and the more i practiced it in terms of being able to sort of you know pick up on what's going on and maybe what needs to happen i think anyway depends on the situation of course i'm also sagittarius so sometimes i'm just obliviously <laughs> tripping along and putting my foot in my mouth in in more lighthearted situations but but when it comes to like deeper stuff i've uh, long had a pretty strong it's been a strength that i could be with difficult feelings my own and others and And, and then I intentionally started developing it as a, a young adult, the ability to be with difficult feelings and difficult situations and be present and not rush to fix, which I think when I was younger, there was often a rush to fix things and make them better right away, however I could, you know. Um, so it's a little like, uh, like developing muscle strength. It's like practice and, I think, you know, I, I got, uh, like for years and years, I thought I couldn't meditate. Like I would, I would try run across forms of meditation just by sheer luck. It's what I saw that talked about clearing your mind of thought and I could never do that. And so I thought I, I can't meditate. It was this belief I had until probably about 23, I met somebody who introduced me to other forms of meditation. Um, some of which have nothing to do with getting rid of thought, but just like developing a different relationship with thought where um, thought happens, but it it's like there's a subtle difference between being in it and watching it. And so 
like practicing that type of meditation is one of the main ways that he started to develop the ability better to get better at it anyway of being with difficult things and not instantly jumping to wanting to do something to get into action about it i mean sometimes you need to get into action but presence is a powerful thing and a lot of times when there's nothing urgent or emergent happening being present is uh, i mean you know i it's just a powerful gift to bring to ourselves and others to be able to be there. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, I don't think, I don't think culturally we're really taught to do that much. Uh, and yeah, it's something definitely acquired, I think. <laughs> yeah. You have to like really want it, right? It's like heart warrior stuff. <laughs> you have to, yeah find it and go after it because uh I, I know a few people now who actually had parents who were good at that but mostly i don't know anybody who i mean where that's where you would first learn it but like yeah the way i grew up was more like you know um you're making me feel bad you better knock it off and make me feel better and like you know it's being having difficult feelings was a problem to be fixed <laughs> and uh so it took me a while to train myself out of that. And I, I think I was pretty empathic to begin with. And then, it, but it's more like what I did with it started to change over the years. And I think it's made me better at being, having empathy and compassion to, to develop that presence piece that was, uh, I didn't really see a lot of it around me. Mm -hmm. So, it's yeah. been good. I uh I remember when I was growing up, my uh my grandmother used to take me on these long walks mm. and she would tell me stories about her her life and all that. And I remember just time after time like spending spending those moments with her on those walks and those developed into sitting conversations, of course. Mm -hmm. um, my lead mentor once said uh, on a separate podcast uh, that we're really porous creatures oh. and we just kind of absorb. Yeah. And uh, she was talking about beauty at the time. And I feel like there's a sense of beauty that comes with that too. And, yeah. and those moments that we live out. Mm. Um, yeah, that's great. I think so too. And I think, I think especially kids, young people and kids, right? And we can learn to sort of shield the pores, <laughs> but in our natural state, yeah. What a gift she gave you, your grandmother. Yeah, she was very sweet. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because now I use that very action in my day-to-day -day when I go out and visit hospice patients. I walk with nice. them or sit with them and hear their stories and um nice yeah I'll carry on the legacy yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it right it's such a simple thing i remember reading about and i can't remember the name of the program or what country i'm sorry to say um but it was somewhere um 
in Africa, in I believe Western Africa, where they had trained community members. This is the kind of stuff I would like to do. Like the depression rates were going up and they, they realized that a lot of what people need, and I think that's true here often too, not always, but a lot of what we call a mental health problem is really just a lack of connection and people feeling seen and heard. And that they trained these community members to go out and like sit at a certain spot during the day, there was like a bench and people could just come sit down and talk to them and be heard and have a caring witness presence with them. And it was helping immensely. And it's such a simple thing to just be with people, even if it's not, it does not have to be painful things necessarily, although it can be that too, but just to be seen, really seen and have space held is powerful. Mm, that's so true. That's, that's amazing. As I think about my audience and how they take so much time to go and sit with their patients and to see their patients like as a whole, um, it just makes me think about how nurses may engage in finding ways for them to sit and be yes. seen. That I was, yeah. yeah, that's what I was just thinking. And I think that's one of the things that we don't um, often get. I have to cough. <coughs> oh, much concert. Did a lot of yelling <laughs> on Monday <laughs> night, and I'm still my throat's a little my throat's a little rough. Yeah. Um, is oh, where's good. ours? Where's ours coming from? And it's it's tough to make time for that when everything else feels so urgent. But it's so important, even if it's you know a group of friends or coworkers you can connect with once a week and just vet for five minutes or. You know, mm. get get the support, get some of the support that we're constantly putting out. That's one mm. of the things that helps um, helps avoid burnout. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I agree. Uh, kind of brings me back to the beginning of our conversation when you mentioned gaming. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, wait, say, and yeah, what do you think about that? It's interesting because I, I've met more healthcare professionals in <laughs> MMO games than uh -huh. I have anywhere else. <laughs> uh -huh. that is, that's interesting. Do you like, think, does it influence your play style, do you think? Um, uh, I don't know if it influences my play style. It definitely makes me more aware of like, how like like okay this person's obviously really attuned to like all the attributes and stats of this <laughs> game and everything and then uh -huh. they tell me that they're an md or uh -huh. a nurse and i'm just like huh i wonder <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> <laughs> interesting uh, that would be great like research i'd be really curious i've long been curious you and i might have talked about this at some point about how personality influences play style. But anyway, like like yeah. for me, for years, it's been really hard to play like a really truly, not even an evil character, but like just a full on rogue who doesn't care about the rules at all. And um, 
just like kicks ass and gets it done. And I, I always seem to, whether I mean to or not, like revert to this sort of, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a little bit of a rogue. I am a bit of an outsider, but but I'm all, there's always an ethics behind it that's pretty solid. Like it's hard for me to just be a jerk. Right. <laughs> uh, and it's, I don't know, I'm just always curious, but some people go like the opposite. Like they're super altruistic and very nice. And then they play these really dark kind of um, violent characters. So I don't know, it's just fascinating to me. Anyway, oh, yeah. that's the psychologist in me. <clears throat> yeah i feel you because like i uh i think i tried to do the assassin quest once and uh, i just couldn't do it <laughs> it's just not me <laughs> you're like your character is doing a thing and inside you're kind of cringing uh, i don't know i'm like uh, no i'm not gonna yeah. do that i'm just gonna pursue the fishing yeah. quests you know <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, and that's important too. I think like finding the thing that help, whatever it is that helps, um, is so it's just important. Like, and I think if people haven't found it yet, like just keep trying stuff till you find something. Like, I, I it's just so easy. I don't know if it's easy. I think it can be gradual and insidious that we just put out, put out, put out, put out, put out, and our light starts to slowly go out. And, um, you know, I mean, I think of it like this way for myself, right? Like I can attend like on a daily or weekly basis to the things that will help build up my own resources, or I can totally ignore that and just go full tilt and then crash and burn. And then I will be forced <laughs> to take care of myself. Cause I, so, and this is something that's really formative for me is that I sort I did that in a way and I crashed and burned hard um, in the early 2000s. And I was actually, my immune system, my adrenals, I was bed bound, um, I would say 90% of the time for about three years. And I ended up getting Lyme disease. I'm, I suspect in retrospect, and, and that's, it doesn't really matter, I don't need to get into that, but that I had it. I had met people later that had it and um, but their immune systems and was strong enough. They just had they were asymptomatic, and I think I had probably had it for a while and noticed it here and there when I would get run down. I would start to get fatigued and have unexplained pain, and um, and I could just take a day off or leave work like half hour. I mean, a half day early and rest extra, and then I was okay. I but I essentially ignored all these signs, <laughs> and I could, could chuckle about it now, but it was not chuckle worthy at the time it was the hardest it led into the hardest period of my adult life and so i think i learned the hard way like and this was gradual it just was like over time i just kept doing all this like service work but not taking care of my own spirit my body my heart whatever me i just wasn't really able to like take time off even mentally or emotionally or carry stuff with me um and eventually uh because i kept ignoring the signs i there was a two-year period where i just got worse and worse and worse and worse and and frantically looking for a cure a fix so that i could go back to business as usual my body was just like no no you are done we you've had your chance <laughs> And, and um, 
Yeah, I mean, it was a really, so I gradually like let go. In fact, hospice was the last job I let go of. I, I loved it. And um, at the time mm -hmm. I finally quit, I was working like 12 hours a week doing home visits, and but I just couldn't anymore. Mm. It was a tough time. So three years of being bed bound and then finally ending up suicidal because I was just in pain constantly and I, I couldn't, could barely move. It was like gravity was <laughs> five times as strong for me than it normally was. It was, it's hard to describe. People who've ever like been dealt with chronic fatigue will know. It's different than being tired. Mm -hmm. It's a weight, just a constant weight. And yeah. It's, it's interesting because you, you hear about people just kind of toughing it out, you know, like, oh, you just gotta get stronger kind of thing. But like, I don't think people often, like, I think some people will say, oh, I know that our bodies carry this stuff and are susceptible to this stuff that we expose ourselves to. But I don't know if they buy into it usually until it's like really hitting us. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, uh, there's a certain type that, yeah, we just, and it's, there's a piece of sort of the American um, ethos that's like, pick yourself up by the bootstraps and soldier on, you know, and um, if eventually I woke up my computer that um, eventually the bill comes due and you know I don't know how or when it's different for everybody I think but, um, I mean what I learned from all of that actually I can look back and see where it's sort of like I'd been overdrawing a bank account <laughs> for mm. years and sort of pulling from other accounts and selling a piece of stuff here and like scrambling to keep up and eventually it just uh, the rug just got pulled out from under me and um it actually wasn't that fast but it, it felt that fast I was in denial I think I kept just trying to do the same things I've always done and I mm. be stubborn like that so you know I can yeah. see like now I try and think about every time I just say like I'm taking an hour you know I don't care like I read fiction every night and I have colleagues at school who are like hey, you read fiction I'm like, heck yes about to swear in your program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's part of my self-care for me. Like, even if it's 10 minutes before I just nod off and can't keep my eyes open, it's it's a crucial part. I've always been a big reader and I love sci-fi and fantasy. Mm, and, uh, that's awesome. But making that time is an investment in me being able to continue. I see it as an issue of sustainability. Mm, and, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, even if... Even if I don't crash physically, I have seen people, I mean, I've worked with people at the end of their lives who managed to keep going physically. Their quality of life, you can see like a long time ago, the joy, any sort of moments of joy or, or meaning, it just, things just became dry and hard all the time. Mm. And, mm. It, and we don't have to, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. I agree. Yeah. One of, uh, one of my classes uh, in the last two years, my mentor was talking about vital behaviors. Mm, I love that term. Yeah. Say more about that. 
right and it's could be as something as simple as reading sci-fi at night and it's it's basically these behaviors that you actively engage in that promote the self that you want to be nice yeah and um so one of the tools we did was or activities we did was uh try to identify our personal vital behaviors like these are the things if i engage in this i will i will feel this way and i know i will if i do this um and so we would we would print out these vital behaviors and try to stick to them throughout this doctoral process <laughs> uh, and how, how did you do how was that for you well, I'm I'm here. Yes, you are. <laughs> I am here, and I'm I'm nearing the end. It's uh, the dissertation is is in review soon, so we'll just keep fingers crossed and keep tapping into those behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it was uh, it it was spending time with my kids. It was spending time with my friends. Uh, going to the gym regularly. Uh, I ended up losing 100 pounds. And wow. uh, it yeah. was just mind blowing that whole process and getting my nutrition in order. And a part of one of those unknown things was like, in spending time with my friends, that meant like, uh, logging in and playing some video games, you know, uh -huh. every once in a while. So uh -huh. yeah, nice. so. so how do you this is like one of the things I think that sometimes is challenging for me I don't know how like is how like when you're faced with someone who's really struggling or even work like things are really stressful at work everyone's overloaded and you know you just need to go like get a half an hour or 15 minutes or whatever to yourself is it hard for you to peel yourself away from what can feel like, you know, this urgency of distress to, but you know, you're burning out and like heading for crash, if not already. <laughs> um, is that hard for you to do that, to carve out time for yourself? When... Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So um, my day-to-day -day schedule is, I try my best to make it so I have like work time, and then I have like a gap of me time mm -hmm. <laughs> and where I can just kind of hit the reset button. That may be going to the gym. That may be a long drive, maybe yeah. spending some time in the games, maybe reading or writing uh, creatively or working on my schoolwork. Um, and then just, and then when I'm with my kids, it's all them, you know, right. I'm, fully present with them yeah. um but it's it's not foolproof by any means but it's a it's a it's an active engagement that i try to shoot for mm -hmm. and uh sometimes i just need to like i spoke with one of my previous guests is have a netflix night and just mm -hmm. veg out on my bed <laughs> <laughs> yep there's definitely a place for that for sure right right yeah 
So it sounds yeah. like you've been able to stay fairly, at least fairly consistent with, I mean, it's a dynamic thing and it's important to not turn that into another task that then we beat ourselves up for if we don't, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a moving target and we have to stay flexible with it too, I think, but it sounds like you've managed to be fairly consistent with it. Yeah. Generally. I, I do my best. I'm not, I, I mean, there's some times where I'm really struggling and i'm like okay i really need to just go sit with one of my friends and just pour my heart out or i just need to go to the gym and just stretch for an hour yeah and just just lose myself in my music or my podcast or whatever nice. and uh and sometimes it's doing some fishing in elder scrolls you know mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. How about how about you? Are there mm -hmm. special special things you do for? Yeah, I have. So I have a friend who she talks about the things she does that keep her out of the red zone, and I love that term. I, I feel like like it's a spectrum, really. And there there are times I can do more. I have more flexibility and more time in general in my budget and other times it's super tight and you know and it's interesting like when i find myself i have learned over time again the hard way like when i find myself saying i don't have time i don't have time to meditate right now i don't have time to go for a walk or, that's when i need it the most often oftentimes mm. that's when i need it the most is when I think I don't have time. And so like another thing I had to sort of recover from was when I was young, I would think, you know, like uh, I'm gonna go to the gym every day or I'm gonna journal every day for a half hour. And I would be really like set my bar really high right out of the gate. And and then if I fell short, I would give up or feel bad. And um, so I've learned that like, um, you know, I've taught these workshops on like, I call it like ninja self-care, like, like if, if I'm thinking I don't have time to meditate, then when I go to the bath, like there are times when, when I go to the bathroom, I'm just going to take like five deep breaths and try for a minute not to think about anything else as much as I can and just pay attention to my heartbeat and my breathing for five breaths. And that's enough to help. Like it doesn't have to be, I'm going to sit for 20 minutes on the cushion and home. Um, it can be that, but it, the little tiny bits, in fact, little tiny bits scattered throughout the day is amazing. And it could be a minute, it could be 30 seconds. Um, so, yeah. So like I said, I always, I always read, I think it's very rare to read fiction before bed, but sometimes I can read for an hour and sometimes I'm just sleepy and I'm out after five minutes, but I give myself that because I know how much I love it. Um, mm. I love some of those terms you're dropping, like stay out of the red zone and uh, yeah. ninja self-care. <laughs> yeah, so what's the minimum thing? I think knowing where our, uh, like there's this, um, a range of, like there's some things that are absolutely like hard limits that we should never compromise on or it's harm, it actually harms us at the deepest level. And, and then ultimately will harm whoever else is around. If we compromise, that deeply against our values and there's other things we really just need a minimum to to feel okay um in the moment just a minimum of okay and knowing what those things are and again it's 
it's, it's dynamic. Sometimes it changes, but there's usually some core stuff. Like what's, what, where's your juice come from? And knowing what those things are, like the vital, the, was it vital practices? Uh, vital behaviors. Vital behaviors, yeah. Um, even just in terms of maintenance, not necessarily be the person I want to be, but what helps me stay in touch with a minimum of the person I am and, and what I need to feed, not just my body, but my, my soul, my, my meaning, my spark. And, mm. and making sure, even if it's just a couple minutes a day that we get, uh, you know, at least a tiny bit of that on a regular basis. Yeah. And it's actually better mm. for everyone around us as well, our clients, our families. It's better for everybody. Yeah, I mean, before I started my research uh, in burnout, uh, there was so, so much chatter I kept hearing about how uh, burnout is affecting patient care and uh, affecting like entire departments and all that. Uh, so I couldn't agree with you more. Um, yeah, and I wish, yeah, I think um, there's just, there's a way, and some of that is definitely pandemic stuff, but I, but I, but I think in a way the pandemic has brought to the fore, as it, as often happens, right, like if a system is already a little bit wobbly or like walking on crutches, throw something like the pandemic at it or extreme circumstances, and you're going to see where the cracks are. And we were already like, there's, there's an organization that has been lobbying for a long time to change the way we train medical personnel because the hour, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about people who are teaching other people about being well and self-care and healing and, and providing healing environments for people who are dealing with illness. But we're often not taught how to take care of ourselves. Like we just, we don't practice what we're preaching and, and that's partly the way the system's built, like the way a lot of people are trained. It, it, if I had a dollar for every time before I started grad school, people said like, well, get ready to suffer, get ready to not have a life. If you look at medical school and like people working 24 hour shifts and, and doing this intense stuff on little sleep and crappy diet and um, yeah, anyway, like, Mm. we're not very good at <laughs> uh, the system itself has some pretty major issues yeah i couldn't agree with you more um That's there's a lot of systemic changes that need to happen yeah yeah and um, so I think that's yeah. important just to say because yeah we're each like our organizations and as individuals a lot of people are struggling and it's like it's sometimes people feel like it's just them and it's so not just you, like <laughs> given circumstances and, and the systems already in place, like it's, there's some major problems there that aren't looking out for you. And that we do what we do is amazing. I think that that phrase that you just said needs to be repeated. It's, it's not just you versus. Yeah. It's not just you. It's, it's not. yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we, we can look at our neighbors and compare ourselves and, um, 
it, it's tough. It it takes a toll on everybody. And just because one person's handling it better at the moment doesn't mean if we're struggling that there's it's a personal failing. That's another thing this culture does. It really likes to situate problems in the individual. Like it's all you get over it, buck up, you know, um, whatever. And it's it's not. There are some major systemic issues here that have needed to be addressed for a long time. Um, it's strange how there's like such a weird kind of fault based system and okay. you know it's it's really there's there's really no fault to this other than like the system needs changed yeah um but i feel like um i feel like we just need to be a lot more gracious with ourselves too yeah and uh with each other and um we need to not have such high, like, just such, such a ramped up kind of system, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Now I'm just yeah. repeating you. <laughs> no, that's, well, it's great. It's so, it's so true. And, and then, and then how can we, in the meantime, um, like build in things to get those needs met because the our bosses sometimes I and not I don't I shouldn't say that some bosses are great at giving that kind of support and building it in but like ultimately we got to do it we got to make sure we're getting it and so it's like first of all we need to know that the way the system's set up is screwed in some ways and it asks way too much of us um you know to Actually, that's true for a lot of people in a lot of sectors, and it's certainly true of nurses. I have a lot of nurses in my life, and um, it just expects too much to begin with. It's superhuman and unfair, and so if we're in a place where we're not going to get the support, we need to make it sustainable, um, and that doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, but I mean a minimum of support and resources and care and um, then where can we, we need to find ways to build it in as much as we can um, so that we can keep going. And mm -hmm. um, I think the human animal, you know, at one, sometime or another, it's just gonna come due, like our systems can only do it for so long. And yeah, yeah I, I hate to see people, I hate to see us, the things we put ourselves through and the ways we end up suffering, what it costs us like to do that kind of work for 20 years without, without adequate self-care. Yeah, and it's amazing hearing the stories of folks who have been doing, like who are retiring and have mm -hmm. been like struggling for a long period of time. Uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. The cost of that, even just to quality of life, if even if there's not a physical cost per se, but mm. you know, relationships mm. and emotional functioning and it's just, yeah, it's it's really not fair. So I think whatever we mm. can do to sort of help soften that and look out for each other, you know, whether it's you know, create a little support group of our friends or find it, um, people who are doing the same work, you know. Um, or just having fun, you know, going bowling <laughs> once a month or just all, whatever that is. I like that, like I have a list of things that, cause sometimes I'll start 
I'll do a thing and it doesn't actually help. And so then it's like, next thing. Like, and it's not about just making myself feel better. Sometimes what I need is a moment to lean into what's hard and, and really get honest with myself about what I'm feeling and what I'm struggling with. And it's a little counterintuitive. I, I think I still have this knee-jerk reaction that it's gonna make me feel worse. And it doesn't. It actually, I may feel like it's worse initially, but it's already there. I'm just acknowledging it and making space for it to come through. And as I go through it, instead of trying to go around it or over it, um, I actually feel better. And mm. so finding spaces where we can do that if we need to, like whatever it is, experimenting with that. But we gotta, like, I think making the commitment to that and then doing our best just over time, not, you know, it's not always gonna happen perfectly. And, Mm -hmm. or ever perfectly that's fine but just making that investment because we deserve it and if nothing else it will help us to better work for longer but also we deserve it we do yeah. yes absolutely sometimes uh sometimes i feel a bit of emotional soreness after doing something some of that work uh but it's totally worth it because I mean, you just, I mean, there's a need that's being met and, uh, and there's growth happening. And, uh, and sometimes, sometimes such growth is painful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes just expression. And that's different for different people. Like, you know, it might, I don't know, but making space for just to acknowledge and be with ourselves, really, whether that's, whether we're with someone else or whether we're praying people or journaling. Journaling has been that for me since I was a kid. Like the one place I could go and just unconditionally like say whatever I needed to say and get it out. There's something about like when it's churning around in my head and my heart, my body. And then when I like get it out, whether it's journaling or creative a painting or doodling or um, physical like expressing, it transforms it somehow. I may not, you know, I might still be, feel grief or feel worried about someone, but it's when I'm stewing with it all by myself inside my own brain, it's it's a kind of suffering, I think. It doesn't go anywhere. It can just spin and spin and spin, and it takes a toll. But if I express it, for me, especially if I share it, if I'm able to talk to someone about it or pray about it, or, it just lightens it a little bit. It changes it somehow. So, mm, I agree. I uh, I I have this. I have this belief that, I mean, we're creative creatures. Uh, and I feel like we're just trying to express ourselves a lot in that creativity. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, I've heard from some folks that like to bake. Yeah. When they're processing. And That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know I like to cook when I'm 
when I'm processing sometimes or uh -huh. some folks garden. Uh, yeah. Sometimes I do poetry or, or I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting theory. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. I, there is something about expression, right? Like, like our subjective experience often is that we're walking around like in these sort of isolated meat bags, right? And, mm. and a lot of communication and being with each other is trying to sort of take what we're experiencing on the inside and put it outside in a way that we feel like it can be seen, even if it's, I mean, even when it's just us, it can change the way I see something when I start writing about it. I mean, sometimes when I just freeform write, something will pop out I didn't even know was going on in there. Um, I'll discover something about a situation and my my feelings or experiences that I didn't even know was there. So, but there there is something about that that can be really meaningful and just help with the isolation mm -hmm. or I don't know the noise the noise in my head. Right, yeah, it's calm down. Gives you, gives you something to do with it, right? Yeah, right, right. The spin can be just exhausting. Thank you so much for joining us today. Do you do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Or um, oh, you know, really, I all I just thought was just you know, thank you, thank you, and and I wish. You know, thank you for the work that you do. It's so important. And I wish more of that for for yourselves, you know, whatever it is that you need, more of what you need for you as well. Hmm. Thank you so much. And uh, well, I look Thanks, forward Jared. to hearing from you again. I hope I hope I can have you back on the show sometime so we can dive into some more of these amazing topics that are just <laughs> that'd be great that'd be great thanks for doing this awesome. it was good to talk to you you too thank okay. you bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.